0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Keys to Financial Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Marika Stymac. I'm an author, life coach, and app creator. We're going to dig deeper into the 40 simple concepts I've come up with in my book, Keys to Financial Confidence, Unlock Your Best Life. Here, you are going to finally figure out what living your best life means for you and how to set up your financial situation to get there. You are here for a reason, you want change, And you want to learn how. Let's dig in. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Okay. So I feel pretty lucky to be able to talk with Eric Brotman today. He is the buddy you want to have. So I kind of put Eric on the spot and switched up what we were going to talk about. And naturally, he was absolutely confident in talking about chapter four in my book, Find a Buddy at the Bank. And we probably could have had a discussion on any chapter in my book because he's a financial advisor with decades of experience within the industry. Eric is going to tell you exactly how to find an advisor and what happens when you work with them. When I talk about finding a buddy in the bank, it means finding someone like Eric who cares about you, wants you to succeed, not just financially, but also personally and really puts your needs first. So if this is something that you think you need, listen on for some expert advice on how to find the right person for you. Hi, Eric. I'm so honored to have you on the show today. Please tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, my name is Eric Brotman. I am the CEO of BFG Financial Advisors in suburban Maryland, USA. I started my practice 29 years ago in 1994. Yes, that's horrifying. And started this company in 2003 as a startup with one full-time and one part-time person. And now we've grown to 23 full-time people. We have employees in several states, clients all over the country and even outside the U.S. We've grown a real presence and we're starting to build some influence in the industry and in the world of personal finance, which is fun. And that's what I want to be when I grow up because I never want to retire, but I would like to change the industry and change the conversation around money and what retirement means.
0: So your focus is on financial planning or financial advising?
1: Yes, we are certified financial planner practitioners and we do financial planning and wealth management for clients. Most of them are multi-generational families, but they're not all super wealthy people. So we have a program called Financial Planning for All that is an affordable option for folks who maybe don't need a full-blown wealth management planning. And that's been very popular and well-received.
0: Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. Well, What I have not received is some advice as to how to find a financial advisor. Oh, sure. And I think this is really monumental. This is really important because a lot of people are going to the bank. They're setting up an investment account through their bank advisors. They don't know that there are independent financial advisors out there. They don't know how to find them. There's just such a big question of... How to find someone. And they're thinking, I don't have $250,000. I can't just approach somebody and say, like, here, invest this money for me, because that's what you hear that advisors want from you. Do you mind enlightening what a financial
1: advisor does? Not only wouldn't I mind, I'm honored to be asked. This is a great question. Thank you. It's an important question because lots of people call themselves financial advisors, and maybe they're not financial advisors. They're salespeople, they work for various organizations. It's actually extremely disturbing. And because of what I do for a living, I see people who have been, if not victimized, certainly taken advantage of in some way by these advisors. And so this consumer beware situation is legitimate. And if you're feeling or your listeners are feeling trepidation around this, like, oh my gosh, I don't know who to call. Number one, trust your gut. And number two, you're right to feel that way. Because unlike certain professions, where there is one course of entry. If you're going to be a doctor, you need to have an MD and you need to pass your boards. If you're going to be a lawyer, you have to pass the bar. If you're going to be a CPA, you have to be a CPA. To be a financial advisor, you show up on day one and start dialing for dollars. And that's what disturbs me so much. Mm -hmm. So understanding the designations, and some of the designations take years to earn and master, and some take a three-hour seminar online. Like It's horrifying. Yes. So it's okay to feel like, hey, wait a minute, I don't trust any of this. My most recent book, Don't Retire, Graduate, has an entire chapter, which is an interview for prospective financial advisors, things you can ask, not because there's necessarily a right answer or a wrong one, but because the answers are going to tell a lot about the person or people you're sitting in front of. I don't think one size fits all. I don't think there's one right way to do this, mm-hmm. but there are plenty of wrong ways to do it. Mm -hmm. And so when you're looking for a financial advisor, what most people do is they ask their friends or they ask their family, hey, who do you use? Do you like him or her? Mm -hmm. And while that's fine, it's not a terrible thing. Their judgment of that might not be any better than yours. Yeah. So it's extremely difficult. It's so much easier to find almost any other profession on the planet than ours. Except for doctors. Even doctors, they're easy to find. They might not have time for new patients. Yes. But they're there. And the person who finished last in med school is still called a doctor. And I realize that means there's varying degrees of quality there too, like anything else. But at least there's a standard. There's a hurdle they have to to cross to get there. You need to ask a lot of questions. You have to understand who the advisor or purported advisor represents. Yes. Do they have an employer? Are they a W-2 employee of a bank or a trust company or an insurance company or an investment manager. If they are, they owe a duty of loyalty to their employer that is actually one step higher on the food chain than their fiduciary duty or their duty to their customer or client. If that doesn't scare you, it should, because that means if they work for XYZ Bank, and I'm not going to pick on anybody, but if they work for XYZ Bank, their number one priority is to do what's right for the bank, not for the bank's customer. And I think so many people don't realize this. They don't. They, and that doesn't mean that doesn't mean there aren't some really good people who work for banks doing really nice work. I'm not disparaging them. I'm just saying it is one cause for a pause. He's like, <laughs> wait a minute. You know, if I bring my portfolio to you, or I, I'm looking for advice from you, and you tell me we've got this and this on the shelf, and they all have your logo on them, it might be the best four things on the planet, or it might be what's on your shelf. And that bothers me. And so I think understanding to whom the advisor owes a duty of loyalty, first and foremost. What are their licenses? There are people out there who call themselves financial advisors who aren't even C or FINRA or any of the other organizations. They're just insurance agents. And they're selling insurance products and they don't have to disclose anything because they're not investment vehicles. So they don't fall under the jurisdiction of the SEC. And people think, oh, I'm getting something guaranteed. No, you're getting sold some form of insurance vehicle, which again, There are good people who work for insurance companies and are products that are helpful in the right situation. Mm -hmm. But you just have to wonder if I go to XYZ company and I get an XYZ policy product, annuity, fund, wrap account, anything, why? Mm -hmm. Is that really the best one?
0: But some people are blocked. They don't know if they can find out. They don't know what is the best one. So they need to trust somebody.
1: It's true. And so it is important to ask if an advisor owes a fiduciary duty to you. Great, And there's lots of different definitions, unfortunately. Fiduciary hasn't been settled yet because there's a lot of legislation and a lot of lobbying around what is a fiduciary duty. The problem is that the fiduciary standard, if people really had to put their client's interest first, some insurance companies would be out of business because they couldn't hire a sales force. I'm not saying anything that's not true. And so they're fighting like crazy to say, no, 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 just do what's in the best interest or do something appropriate the standard used to be not even best interest. It was, is this appropriate for the consumer at the point in time where there's a sale made? And that's like saying I went in to get a a Schwinn bicycle and I came out with a really expensive BMW, but it was appropriate at the time because I had to get to work.
0: Yeah, but that's not what I needed.
1: All you needed was simple transportation. Your work is half a mile from home. You don't need a BMW to get there. Get a bicycle and that's because that's how ridiculous some of this is. Yes. And so understand, do you have a fiduciary? Is someone a certified financial planner, practitioner? Do they have a duty of not only fiduciary to you, but no duty of loyalty to anyone else? You begin with an interview. Now that's not to say somebody can't lie to you, but there are things that you will request or that they have to provide in a session If they are SEC registered and they're investment advisory representatives, they have to provide what's called a Form ADV Part 2. There'll be a quiz later, so make sure you have this. I took your quiz. You have to take mine. (laughs) Um, It's only fair. But all of that spells out all of those relationships and who someone represents and how they're paid and understanding how an advisor is paid is important too. Yes, absolutely. And there's a lot of pressure to consider what are called fee-only planners. And a fee-only planner, and I put fee-only in quotes because it has a definition. A fee-only planner is someone who is only paid based upon the value of the assets in your portfolio, not a performance fee. They get an asset under management fee based upon the assets. They are not charging commissions or being paid anything else. They're only being paid on that basis. And in a lot of cases, that's a good solution for somebody. Mm -hmm. It eliminates some conflicts of interest. The problem is one size never fits all. When you shop for clothing, I doubt you ever reach for the rack that says one size fits all or even one size fits most. You want your size. You want it to be right for you. Yep. And this is the same thing. So for some clients, that's the right answer. And for other clients, that's a more expensive option, or it's an option where you're not going to get the kind of experience that you need, or you're not going to be able to own the kind that's appropriate for you. So it, it's a difficult it's a difficult process. I think it's important to interview more than one person. Interesting. I think it's helpful to sit down with two or three or seven if you have to, although at some point there's diminishing returns. There's diminishing utility on meeting with too many. But if you hear the same kind of story from several people, Mm -hmm. that's going to be better than if you walk into three different offices and they give you three completely different solutions. First of all, no one should be making recommendations to you the day they meet you about basically anything. They don't know you from Adam. Yes. So if somebody comes, oh, what you need is this, and they pull it off their shelf, run get to the car and leave. You cannot make a recommendation to someone without really knowing them any more than you could walk into a doctor's office and say, I need pills and they hand them to you without even looking at you. You know what I mean? Yes. Like people don't go into the doctor's office and say, I need that purple pill. I saw it on TV. I have to have it. Yes. Or maybe they do, but they're not going to get it. We got to backtrack because
0: we're talking about interviewing these people, but people still need to know how do they find them? Where is the best place to find them? Because all we know is to go to the bank and all we know is to yeah. reach and speak to an advisor and that's it. How do we find these other people? How do we find these independent financial advisors?
1: That's a great question. You can go on, if you Google a certified financial planner practitioner or the CFP board, you can get a list of CFPs and there there are thousands of them across North America and you can get a list and you can sort by a lot of different criteria, including geography, if you want someone near you, or you can sort by what kind of clients do they work with. Mm -hmm. See, that's the other thing. You don't want to be somebody's biggest client, and you don't want to be somebody's smallest client. You want to be in their wheelhouse. You want to work with someone who works with people who are like you. And if you walk in and you say, what kinds of clients do you work with? And the advisor goes, people just like you, without knowing you at all, run. They will say this. It's like comedy. No kidding.
0: No kidding.
1: I can articulate who our typical client is, even though we have a broad spectrum of folks we represent. We have seven advisors here, so I can tell you who I tend to work with, mm-hmm. but I might not be the right person for you, and that's okay. We might or might not be the right firm for you, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. This has to be a fit. If you're going to work with somebody, and our profession is as intimate as medicine, there's there's no gown without a back on it or anything like that, but it's as intimate as medicine. You're talking about very personal things. I mean, I mean, you, usually there's no gown. I saw the look on you, but usually there's no <laughs> gown. We could make an exception for you, but I, re, honestly, it's very rare. But it's a very personal relationship. You have to get to know people. And so yes. if someone says, Eric, who do you work with? I can say most of the folks who seek me out are between the ages of 45 and 60. They've got parents getting older they're worried about. They've got kids to educate. They're working 50, 60 hours a week trying to figure out their own stuff. They're busy. And they need some direction on this whole gamut of stuff. They want more. They want more advice. Well, they want one call to make. We all have a real estate agent and a mortgage broker, a tax accountant and a lawyer and a banker and a insurance agents and all these people. Mm-hmm. And the problem is they don't speak to each other. They don't know what one another are doing. They only know what they do. And they're all incented to upsell you in their own space. Yeah. If you ask a mortgage broker for advice, they're not going to tell you what kind of mortgage necessarily is best for you. They're going to tell you how much you can qualify for. We can get you up to this. Well, that doesn't mean it's a good idea for you. It just means they can get that through their underwriting department. Mm -hmm. A real estate agent is delighted to show you a house that's bigger and more expensive than the one you intended to buy because they're paid more if you spend more. And again, I'm not beating on these people. Well, I am beating on everyone, but I'm not trying to beat on everyone. I'm just kidding. No, I mean, there are good people at every space and there are lousy people at every space, but your advisors have to talk to each other. They have to know each other. They have to understand your situation.
0: The hardest thing I feel is when you sit down one-on-one, table is in between you and you're disclosing your information to someone, we have a hard time asking people the advisor, those personal questions, like what mm-hmm. type of people do you work with mm-hmm. paid? I know that's mm-hmm. a really big one. And you also feel pressured sometimes. Like, so how do we avoid those feelings of pressure, insecurity, and asking the real questions that we want to ask? How can we get over that and break through that boundary?
1: That's a great question too. And I'm not sure that I have a concrete answer for you, but I'll lob one up there and see if you want to dunk on it. And that is that if you feel too uncomfortable to ask a question like that of someone, you're probably in the wrong room already. Interesting. You should already feel like this is someone you can talk to where you shouldn't talk to them. And I know there's going to be nerves. You're going in, you're meeting new people, but you also shouldn't necessarily be responsible for disclosing everything about yourself the moment you meet somebody either.
0: Okay.
1: Having a conversation about what you're trying to accomplish. Like, I'll schedule a a phone call or a Zoom with folks before they ever come into this office, before I know anything about them financially, just to get a sense of what it is they're looking for. Have you worked with an advisor before? What was that experience like? If they tell us we're looking for these things and they're not in our purview, or they're not things that I think we're going to be well-suited for, I'm going to point them in a different direction quickly and just say, you know what? I think I know what you're looking to do, and I don't think this is going to be the best place for you. At the same time, if I'm not sure, then we'll schedule an initial consultation with folks, and we'll tell every single one of them. We'll spend 90 minutes together. We will charge you nothing. Thanks. It's an opportunity for you to kick our tires. You can get to know us. We get to know you. And at the end of that hour and a half or so, we're either both going to feel like, yes, this is great. Let's do it. Or one or both of us is going to feel like it's not great. And that's okay too. And it won't cost you anything. And the worst thing that'll happen for you is you'll be better organized than you were because you will put all this stuff together. You'll know where it is. (laughs) You'll know which drawer your deed is in.
0: Okay. Interesting. Good to know. Good to hear. So that relieves a little bit of pressure from people just by having that in the back of their minds. Like if I'm just not comfortable, this is not the thing for me. Okay, here's another big question. I'm
1: going to sit back here. I'm ready.
0: Really appreciate having an answer for this. This is the hardest one, I think, even for me to define. Tell me about the fees. Maybe when they go into an advisory situation or they're having a conversation or an interview with an advisor, they already are prepared of what they might hear.
1: It's going to not surprise you at all that the fees are complicated and some of them are more transparent. Understand all of them. So let's begin at the beginning. Some advisors or other professionals will charge a fee for a meeting or a consultation. That makes me uncomfortable. I won't go to a lawyer who wants to charge me before I've met with them because I don't know if I'm going to like working with them or if they can even help me. So to me, you should pay nothing to at least get a chance to get to know any professional, but that includes financial advisors. But some do charge a consultation fee. Yeah. Beyond that, most independent firms will have some form of engagement fee to join the practice. Think of it like the dues to join the country club. You're going to pay something up front for the initial planning work. Sometimes it's hourly. Sometimes it's quoted at that point. Sometimes it's a flat fee and it's published on a website somewhere. And I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer. I tend to dislike hourly structures because number one, it creates a great unknown for the person writing the check. And number two, it creates an incredible incentive to work slowly. For the professional people, which I don't like. So to me, I like a flat fee. Here's what it is. This is what we charge. This is what we deliver for that. These are the process. This is the number of meetings. This is what you can expect. Here's your onboarding. Yeah. Okay. Once a client engages, there are lots of different models. One of which is just an annual planning fee model, which is we don't charge anything except this annual, it's like an annual subscription model almost. We charge you this per year and this is what you get per year and that's that. Think of it like what you would pay for a streaming service. This is it, that's what it is. Right,
0: and what do you normally get in those models?
1: In a model like that, you're gonna get typically two to four meetings or conversations a year, plus access on an ad hoc basis when you need them. Okay. So that's pretty standard stuff. Now, other advisors will actually do some of the sub work. And what I mean by that is they'll either do the insurance work or they'll do the banking or lending work, or they'll do the investment management work. Usually if they're also playing those roles, those roles come at a cost to the client. So for example, the biggest one is the AUM, the assets under management, where often you're charged a percentage of the assets under management on a quarterly basis This is considered a transparent way to do this because it shows up on your statement. It'll show up as a portfolio services fee. You'll know what it is to the penny every quarter. It's transparent and it's there. And that's what the advisor is being paid. Often, if the advisor has a broker dealer or a registered investment advisor or a corporate entity, that it's packaged together. So whatever that is, it includes all parties. You don't have any surprises. Okay. In those cases, some firms have minimums where they won't work with you under a certain amount of assets. Other firms say under this minimum, we're going to charge you an annual fee for the planning itself as well, which is fine. So for example, for us, our financial planning clients, typically anyone under $300,000, we are charging them a fee Mm -hmm. per year to do the planning for them, whether they have assets with us or not. They don't have to have assets with us to be clients of ours. They can if they choose, And once it's over $300,000, we waive that annual fee. And that's typical. And a lot of firms have much higher limits than that, but that's ours. Right. Some firms have multiple layers of planning. So we have a private wealth offering and we have a financial planning offering. One of them is a lot more expensive than the other. And that's because some people have really complex cases and have trusts and are dealing with other heirs and there's a lot going on. And some of them are very simple. Mm -hmm. And so it's good to have not one size try to fit all. Now, for some advisors are still transactional where they're paid a commission for the sale of a product, whether it's a commission on a stock trade or on a mutual fund purchase or on an annuity purchase and those types of things. It's becoming more rare, but it's not zero. And so in in a situation like that, to me, the important thing is more than just the, the company's disclosure because the disclosure might be 83 pages long. Now, when's the last time you accepted a software upgrade for your cell phone? You didn't read it, and don't lie, I know you didn't read it. (laughs) You didn't scroll through it, you just went to accept and you hoped for the best. It's the same here. Right, well, we all do, and it's the same here. So if buried on page 78 is this important detail, that bothers me. So I think it's really important to just be transparent and say, this creates some kind of commissionable activity. There's an additional income to the advisor to do X. Mm -hmm. And in our case, and this is a very small percentage of anything we do, but in those cases where that applies, we will not only describe what it is and explain how it works, we'll also explain how it's not being double dipped because we are not then also charging a percentage for that piece.
0: Yes, yes, okay. So
1: it's one or the other, and in every case, we'll only suggest something like that if we believe is the single best option a client. And then ultimately, it's always our client's money. Yes. If they say, you know what, I'm not comfortable with that, then we don't do it. There's always a plan B, C, D. Right. You have other options. But there are more costs involved in specifically the asset management. I told you about the portfolio services fees. There are two other things to think about. One is the custodial fees. Custodial fee is who's custodying the account. In the US, there are three major independent custodians. And then lots of firms are self-clearing, so they're their own custodians which means you might have, for example, an account fee on an IRA. It's $35 a year to have this account or whatever. That typically doesn't go to the advisor, but it's not free. And so you have to understand you're paying the custodian something. It's usually small, but it's something. Mm -hmm. And then lastly are the expense ratios in the account. Now, these are very much hidden. Not in some nefarious way, but they just don't show up on a statement. But what happens is if you happen to own XYZ mutual fund, And the mutual fund has an expense ratio of 50 basis points, or Mm -hmm. 0, half a percent. And your advisor's charging you 1%. what you're really paying is 1.5%, one to the advisor and half to the fund manager. But you're only seeing the 1% on your statement. Oh, really? The other half, oh yeah, the expense ratios are not transparent. The fund reports all of their results after their own expenses. So if you get something that says the fund did 6% this year, the fund may have done 6.7, but you only got six. And then from the six comes your advisor fee. Now you're at five. And I'm not saying this to talk everyone out of working with financial advisors. I think there's lots of reasons why in a lot of cases we add enormous value, but people do have to understand this can be a very expensive proposition.
0: Yes. In the long run. (laughs) Well, it can be. Now,
1: if my suspicion is true, A great financial advisor is going to help clients with a couple of things that may have very little to do with their portfolio that are super important. Mm -hmm. The biggest one being decision-making and behavior. It's Mm -hmm. funny. We used to, in some of our documentation, we used to use the term behavior management. Male clients thought that was great. Female clients thought that was the worst thing they've ever heard. And don't ever show that to me again. I swear to you, it's a gender thing. You don't want your behavior managed in any way, shape, or form. Me, on the other hand, go ahead, manage my behavior. I don't care. So that's no longer anywhere in our marketing materials. However, the psychology of it and the decision-making that happens, a lot of times, missing the big mistake or missing the knee-jerk emotional reaction is completely priceless. Mm -hmm. And so it is not necessary to try and time or beat markets, particularly when they're up. No one can do it. Anyone who says they're going to beat the market is lying to you or deluding themselves. They cannot do it. No one can do it predictably. If they could, those folks would be running the giant money managers and they'd be winning every year and it doesn't exist. You cannot do it. And so rather than trying to beat the market when it's up, it's about strategies to defend your wealth when the markets are down. So I think as financial advisors, we tend to be somewhat overpaid when everything's going along smoothly, when markets are easy and everything's going fine. Yeah, We tend to be a little overpaid. We then tend to be wildly underpaid when you know what hits the fan and big decisions have to be made or a tragedy in the family or there's a, a business sale or an unemployment or some of the big th- the things that happen in life. I think the biggest value we play other than the behavioral stuff, and I won't use the M word because you don't like it, but- other than the behavioral and psychological stuff, mm-hmm. the other piece of this is the risk management piece. How do we protect what you've built? Because it's not fun. Nobody talks about, no one talks about their liability insurance at the water cooler at work going, oh yeah, you should see what I have.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: They want to tell you about their stock pick or heaven forbid their crypto, but they're not going to tell you about their liability insurance. Do you know I have identity theft coverage? They're never going to do that. Mm-hmm. And yet, Those little mundane, horrible, T-crossing, I-dotting details that you don't have time to deal with, that your advisor, a good advisor, will handle yes, could be the thing that makes a difference between financial independence and complete ruin. And that's a little bit hyperbole, but you get my point, is that there's the value that's added is very rarely because of the ability to pick a fund manager.
0: Is it going to be more expensive to work with a financial advisor over a bank advisor?
1: Uh, and the answer is maybe. Sometimes there may be a slightly higher cost for independence. Sometimes it's lower. We're a lot less expensive than the big banks and the big brokerage and wirehouses because We don't have seven layers of management to feed. Exactly. So we're a lot less expensive than a lot of the big companies who are advertising on the Super Bowl. Yes. Because that costs money. If your name's on a stadium, you are blowing money on something, it's coming from your customer somewhere. Yes. These things don't just fall out of the sky. So we're going to be less expensive than some of the big firms. We might be more expensive than some of the others and that's okay. I don't think cost is the number one deciding factor in almost any purchase. I mean, if it's a true commodity, yes, cost matters. Yeah, But here it's really also about value. It's about outcome. It's about the way you feel about it. In a lot of cases, it's if something happened to you, who do you want your spouse to call? Or who do you want your kids to call? Yes. Or who's going to co-pilot this if you're not able to?
0: Someone that knows you on a first name basis, hopefully.
1: Correct. And it won't be the bank employee who goes to a different branch in 18 months and now there's a new employee there and your account has a name on it you don't know and that's who you're supposed to call and trust. Yes. It is a relationship. It is a marathon, not a sprint. And it should always be a conversation and a relationship and a, a consultative approach And not a thou shalt not or hurry up and do this approach. You should never feel pressured Mm -hmm. to do almost anything. There will be times where there's a deadline that's legitimate. But most of the time, if it sounds like they're running out of them and you have to hurry up and get one now, Mm -hmm. that's not right. There's no finite inventory here. We can do another one. It, it It just doesn't make sense. But people do get pressured like, hey, you have to make this decision by this date. I mean, yes, there are deadlines for... IRA contributions, or there are deadlines for HSA contributions. Some of them are legitimate. Mm-hmm. But to decide, hey, you've got to work with our firm right away, or we're not taking any more clients, no. <laughs> good luck with that. Exactly, I'll pass. Yeah.
0: I think this is very inspiring. I think a lot of people are going to want to go out and find themselves a financial advisor, someone that's going to be on their team, mm-hmm. someone that they can trust and speak to that knows Even like I think it's fine to disclose some personal aspects of your life, what your dreams are for your kids, what your dreams are for your retirement. You don't necessarily get to do that with a bank advisor just because, like you said, they're thinking about where's their next step up sometimes. And I hate to judge. like I mean, I just don't think that people have that awareness. They're not really always acting in your best interest. I was really wanting to find someone to speak on this topic because I have this question so many times, how do I find a financial advisor? It's chapter five in my book, Find a Buddy at the Bank. Mm -hmm. I say it in that sense of just, you need to find a buddy. You need to find Mm -hmm. somebody that is going to be your friend and help you. Mm -hmm. And you have to feel like they are there to help. If they start explaining something to you that you don't understand, and you feel completely that you can't connect with their language, run. I say the same thing.
1: Run. Yeah. Or be comfortable enough in your own skin to say, that sounded like gibberish to me. Like I'll sometimes say, I know I sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. what wah, 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 If I start to do that, call me on it. Good. Because I don't intend to do that. And we are so used to some of the acronyms and some of the things we hear all day long that. yeah. While we try not to do that, we're human too. So if there's a situation where I start throwing stuff at you that is not connecting, tell me. We'll go through it again. There's no embarrassment there. I got to tell you, we have learned so many valuable lessons about human nature through this work. Mm -hmm. We now have reading glasses on our conference tables in baskets where people can get them. And the reason for that is for many years, we were using reports and we found out that folks sometimes who were older couldn't see them or read them properly. And they were all too embarrassed to say something about it. Yes. So instead, they would follow along and nod and smile. We weren't trying to do that. If I had known that, I would have rectified it instantly. But it was trial and error. And so now we can offer someone reading glasses or we can put it on a big screen. We can blow it up. I mean, there's lots of different ways to do it. Mm -hmm. But you need to tell us or we won't know.
0: This is kind of, I don't know if this is on topic, but it's about when couples come in This is a big one that I notice. One always seems to know a little bit more than the other. They've done their research. And then the other one relies on the other person to understand everything. And they just let it be. They just let them say the yes. And they nod while sitting next to them. And I'm trying to empower the other partner to step up and be a part of the game. And it's their money too. Oh, yeah. Make a commitment. And don't let anybody, including your partner make you feel less than make you feel silly for asking a question that you just don't know. And I'm not saying like, okay, then that's a marriage issue or that's like a partnership issue. But just like you said, stick up for yourself, stand up and say, I'm not really understanding. Can we get out a piece of paper and start drawing stick figures or houses or blocks or something to get me to understand this? And maybe I'm just having a moment where I just don't get it, but I can't leave here Until I get it. And don't allow your partner to explain it to you. Unless that works for you, but I find most of the time, then you just end up succumbing and just saying like, forget it, I'm just going to say yes. Don't do that. Don't do that. Your financial advisor is your friend. Yeah. And you should be able to talk to them. They're your buddy. I want them to be your buddy. Go out (laughs) and find your buddy so that they can help you live your best
1: life. Well, that's good advice. And it takes effort to make sure that both partners in a relationship are in this conversation. And that's on us a little bit to elicit that. Oh, really? Almost to give permission to that. And we do see it. And it's not always the male versus the female partner who one is and one isn't. There, there tends to be one who's, more. this is not a, a gender thing. Usually one party is more involved with paying the bills or whatever than the other, but both have to be comfortable. Yeah. And I will tell you that if you don't reach as an advisor, if you don't reach both the spouses are both partners in that conversation. You're largely sunk because they're going to get in the car and one of them is going to look at the other one and go, I don't like them. Not even because they don't like you as a human being, but because you weren't making contact with them. You weren't drawing the stick figures, which I do every meeting, by the way. Oh, every that's so meeting, good. <laughs> stick figures and circles and I, I sign it and I give it to people and it can go on the refrigerator. I always say, if I'm going to be invited to your home for dinner and this isn't on your fridge with your kid's artwork, <laughs> I'm going to have my feelings hurt. I mean, we can have fun with this, right? So it's important to be heard. It's important to have your questions answered. It's important not to feel subservient or less important than anyone in the room, your partner included and especially, but anyone in the room. Mm -hmm. And this is an intimate conversation. You have to be able to be honest. And I've had so many funny moments with couples over the years where I'll look at, and I talk about some of them in the book, but I'll look at somebody and be like, so tell me about the house. How long do you plan to be there? And one spouse will be like, oh, we're going to be there forever. And the other's like, oh, about 18 months. (laughs) And they look at each other. They look at each other. And you can tell the one who said 18 months means business. And I just look at the other one and go, you better get some boxes. Because it's clear you're not staying. I'm a married guy. I'm a married guy. And we don't always talk about it either. I get that. Of
0: course. That's normal. That's natural. But you should be able to feel comfortable to talk about it to your buddy. Find a buddy that you guys can talk about. It'll help your marriage. It'll help your partnership. It'll help with communicating. Well, I can't wait to pick up your book now. I'm so inspired right away. That's going to happen after we get off of this call. I feel this was so insightful. I hope the audience got a few aha moments and some inspiration to go out there and find their buddy at the bank.
1: I hope so too. And I will share with you and with your audience, in addition to the book and the resources that we have, and I know you'll put them in the show notes or what have you, but we also have a free white paper out for anyone who wants it. If you go to whatisfp.com. What is whatisfp.com, which is what is financial planning. It's a free resource you can download. It explains what planning is and what it isn't and how the process works and what you should expect. And it will help arm you for those conversations, either the interviews with prospective advisors or the first meeting with some of
0: them. Fantastic. That's great. Thank you so much for offering that. And where can people find you?
1: Best place to find the book and the workbooks and the courses and all the things is at brotmanmedia.com. And then if you're interested, the podcast is Don't Retire, Graduate, and all of that is there. And then if you're interested in talking to us as one of your financial buddies, though we're not at the bank, it's gfa.com for BFG Financial Advisors.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks again.
1: Thank you. It's been fun.
0: Whoa. Who wants Eric on their side in figuring this money thing out? Seriously. So this is what this chapter in my book was about. I hope you strive to find that person that can make your dreams a reality. I actually recently had someone ask me if they should ask their buddy at the bank over for a barbecue. And I said, yeah, why not? If you have someone that's a part of your life team and you feel like inviting them over for a barbecue, then do so. I'm sure Eric would love to come to your barbecue. The point is, find that person that can help you make things possible. Go check out Eric's podcast for more great advice and I actually just finished reading his book, Don't Retire or Graduate, and feel like I just completed a whole course on financial management and retirement planning. It was great. Check out the show notes for all the information. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and tune into the next episode where we help you figure out your money story and what that actually means. Now get out there and find your buddy at the bank.